Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Ava and Lilith, the Monsters of Men. I am your host, DC. And before I introduce the topic and our wonderful co-host for today's episode, I want to give a brief uh, transparency note here. I know I've been a little late these last couple of months with the episodes. The episodes have kind of slowed down production-wise. And I just want to be transparent when anyone hearing and just saying, life has just gotten very, very busy. I am a full-time teacher and I am also a master's degree student. So podcasting for both podcasts that I do has kind of taken a third place of importance in my life right now. But I did make a promise that I would try to at least get out once a month, even if it was late. So here we are with November's episode, which is being recorded in December, but you know, schematics and will be released in December. What I'm thinking for doing for December, actually for the actual episode, is recording a very small project that I think I have in the works with Alex. I have to check in on him with that, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be snappy and it's going to be shorter than usual hopefully so after getting that out of the way thank you very much for your patience thank you very much if you're still a fan of the podcast if you're still around if you're still hearing it that really does mean a lot to me especially during moments of uncertainty and just kind of scared that I'm losing the the heat the moment the passion I'm not Ava's here I'm here I am never going to go away For November's episode, y'all depressed motherfuckers decided to make this hard and talk about climate change which is great because that topic is not relatable to us at all at the moment. And to talk about climate change with me, I have a very special co-host today who I'm going to let introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Sophie. Hi, Sophie. (laughs) So, Sophie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I I could be better. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. But that has nothing to do with the podcast. So we're going to ignore those problems for now. Sophie, tell the listeners a little bit about you. Any preferred pronouns? Any preferred names? Where can they find you? Yeah, um, I go by she, her. You can find me. My Evangelion account is at Misato Smokes. She does. (laughs) She does. It's true. And then I also have, I'm really not very active there anymore, but I have a, a Fruits Basket account, which is Yuki Smokes, a theme. I only like <laughs> to smoke weed. <laughs> Relatable to me, personally. <laughs> so I'm very excited because it's been a while since we've had a new co-host on the pod. The last couple of co-hosts have been returning guests and I love y'all, but it can't answer you the question that I love asking people and it's, Sophie, what was your first experience with Neon Genesis Evangelion as a franchise? Because it's always a wild tale with y'all. Yeah. So I got into Ava my my freshman year of college. I feel like that's the appropriate time to get into Ava. Yeah, I think so. And I watched the show and I finished it. And I was so angry because I didn't understand anything that happened. And I was like furious. Really? Yeah. I was really pissed. I was like, yeah, I didn't like it. And then I was like, I really need to understand what went on in that show. So I watched it again. Obviously made a lot more sense the second time. And it also just so happened to be, um, it was 2014. So like, I don't know if you were on Tumblr at that time, but 2014, 2015, there was kind of like, Ava was big on Tumblr because it was 2015, you know, like it was the year of Ava. <laughs> you um, know, I, I uh, 
2014, 2015 was around the time I kind of like fell back on the Tumblr bandwagon Mm -hmm. simply because uh, I was also on college during that time. It was like my third or fourth year as a, as a, in my bachelor's. Mm -hmm. So I just didn't have time for Tumblr, but there was a point in my Tumblr life where I was away from Tumblr, Tumblr, and I went more into the role play life of Tumblr and stayed there in that little corner. (laughs) So what happened outside of that, I'm not really in the know. I do know that for a long period of time, Kawashin was big. Yeah, that was my impression of Ava. Mine too, mine too, honestly. And then I, I like, I was watching it. Like I started watching it in the first couple of episodes. I was like, where's that guy? Like, where's, where's that boy? White hair. And, and then I eventually forgot. I literally forgot about him because the show's so complicated. And then he finally showed up and I was like, uh, I'm sorry. He's in the show for like 10 minutes. Like, what's happening? You are my kindred spirit. <laughs> it was so confusing. I had the exact same, like, I know this makes me hashtag unpopular, but... <laughs> Like, I just, again, I've said this before in the podcast is one of my own favorite fun facts about myself. For the longest time, I thought the gay guy that had a crush on Chinyu was going to be Toji. Oh my God. And I just kept waiting for it. And when I, and when Kaoru came onto the scene, I was like, oh, I was confused. It was me. I wish that I didn't know about Kaoru because since then I've watched Ava like with some people who like have had no like their first experience with Evangelion was watching it with me like they didn't really know about it outside of that and that friend know that Kaoru was a character and so like that whole episode is a real uh it's a real shocker if you his reputation doesn't precede him I agree I agree as well like in a good way yeah, I agree. I agree. I think one of the reasons why Kaoru as a character just doesn't stick for me is because I watched the show knowing, like having the context of Kaoshin, and I was just expecting it to be a bigger deal than it actually was. Yeah. So it's just that, that flavor of, uh oh, that's it? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> you know? So true. Yeah, and I was a real, I was a big Asuka girl back in the day. Um. So I was like, why are you guys all obsessed with these boys? <laughs> I get that. <laughs> but yeah, then I got like tangentially in the Ava fandom on Tumblr for a while. I used to cosplay Ava at Anime Boston, only at Anime Boston. Who did you make? Uh, a couple years in a row, Asuka. Of course. <laughs> <Yep>. Taste. <laughs> it was very fun. It was also very big at Anime Boston at the time because, again, it was the year of Ava. And yeah, so that would be my introduction to Ava. Great. I was watching, yeah, I, I guess I was like going on a jag of watching like kind of classic anime, so to speak. Yeah. I watched Ava at the beginning of the Panini. Really? Yeah. Like a, a little bit before, because I watched it in February, I remember, because that's how I spent Valentine's Day with my partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Panini hit. And mid like March to April, I would say I finished Ava and I was like, whoa, the Is fuck? Like, I can't imagine, because I rewatched Ava, I rewatched Ava, like, I would say about every two years, if not more. But um, I rewatched Ava when the pandemic started, like, it must have been, like, April. Yeah. And it, like, came off with a very different tone with the context of everything that was happening, like, in the real world. Like, what was it like to experience Ava for the first time when it's so, I I don't know, like, 
because I want to say I don't want to use the word relatable because obviously Ava's relatable in like a mental health way but I mean like it, it was almost kind of paralleling what was happening in the, in the real world depressing yeah <laughs> yeah that, that's and I don't mean it in the usual haha well, I want to kill myself sort of way that we usually joke about when we talk about Ava mm-hmm. I'm talking more about the oh no everyone empowered really doesn't care about us the little people yeah right well like actually like that sentiment is why I was excited when you posted about climate change like this one being about climate change because yeah. I feel like climate change and like our reaction to it is very political and mm-hmm. so I think a lot of the stuff that was paralleling the pandemic also very much parallels climate change because I think that what happened in the pandemic is kind of a precursor to what's going to happen oh, with yeah. regards to climate change in the future well let's use that as a segue man Woo. I know that was a great segue <laughs> fantastic it's almost like you've been doing this podcasting thing for a while huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah guys I have a backlog of a fruits basket podcast the whole show (laughs) it's called Soma So Good just plugging my podcast no I always do a segment for people to plug in whatever the hell they want at the end of the podcast so do not worry about that I'm just gonna bounce off your smart people ideas (laughs) because I was told that you were really passionate about this topic and the first thing I want to know is why (laughs) Um, I know know that's broad. Yeah, I'm very interested in like the political commentary in Evangelion because it's a very character focused show, right? But there's a lot of governmental, political, like bureaucratic things going on in the background, like in small scenes that don't necessarily make sense in the context of the episode, but make sense on a broader scale. And uh like all of the stuff about climate change and Evangelion, like, again, it's all very much wrapped up in politics, but I think that Hidekiano did it with a lot of purpose. And he also put his own biases in it, which is very interesting. Very auteur of him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> very auteur. I have to admit, the first time I watched Ava, like the first run through, I did not even notice the climate change little detail. Like I noticed it in small ways as in like, you know, episode 22, I think was the big one where I noticed there was a difference because we have Fuyutsuki telling us that uh, 2001 was a hellscape of a year. Right. That basically just everything goes to shit. That flashback talking with Yui pre-second impact where it's autumn. Mm -hmm. And that was like the first, I think I'm, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's the first time in the show that you see another season on screen that isn't like summer. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is the first time. And it's very like when you're watching it for the first time, one of the things I really like about the way that they did the climate change was that it's so omnipresent Yes, that we as the audience don't even really notice it. And it kind of gives this illusion that time isn't moving forward, um, which I like just like tying back to the themes of repetitiveness and cycles. So it it, it does kind of take you aback when you see the autumn leaves in the flashback in that episode, yeah. Yeah, in that very accurate Yui screenshot that's like, I love autumn, I'm gonna chop (laughs) all these leaves up my ass. That's relatable. (laughs) (laughs) I also love autumn. Same girl, same, just girly things. So I think one of the details that I've always found interesting about how the show handles climate change is the fact that Tokyo 3 is just always hot. It's always uncomfortably hot. Yeah. 
everyone's sweating all the time. Whenever they're outside, they're wearing like really short shorts or really like tanky tank tops. Misato, half of her wardrobe outside of work is just that white <laughs> tank top and those short shorts. Yeah. So, she also made a comment at one point about how AC is the greatest invention, yes. the greatest invention mankind has ever made. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember finding that comment odd when I first watched it. I was like, what a weird thing to comment on. Don't you have AC at the office? And apparently like, yeah, of course that ties back into the themes of climate change. I'm just, I'm just a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's really subtle. Like another um, subtle thing. There's, there's two subtle things that I really like that happen throughout the show is Shinji's teacher is constantly talking about what life was like before Second Impact. Yes. In every single classroom scene, he's always giving the, it's not the exact same monologue, but it's about the same thing about how the city that he used to live in is now underwater. Yeah. Um, And uh, like the way that they do it, he's like one of those droning teachers in like Charlie Brown, you know? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like- I do know what you mean. Yeah, the kids don't care what he's talking about. They've heard it so many times because it's so normal and it's also like just so embedded in the narrative. Yeah. Uh, But if you actually listen to what he's saying, it's like really sad and tragic. Oh yeah. I think that just, you know, other than usual teenage nonchalance, it's just the fact that to them, the world has always been like this. Yeah. They live in a post-second impact world. So they don't know what it's like to have like other seasons that are not this. Right. It's characters just, like uh, Misato, Ritsuko, Kaji, and the other, the granddad duo, uh, Gendo, <laughs> and Yui. Yeah, shout out to Alex for that one. Uh, <laughs> it's with those characters that you get to experience what the world was like before. And some of them are so closed off. They don't talk about the before. They talk about the here and now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's just very interesting whenever you get a character like that teacher who is so embedded in telling us what was happening before that time yeah and also like with the teacher what's interesting is that the focus is like it's like pretty much entirely on like the direct consequences of second impact like he doesn't talk about like normal day-to-day life and to be honest normal day-to-day life didn't really change all that much once everything got back to normal which um, I was saying to DC before we started recording that a lot of the climate change parallels also parallel the pandemic, you know? Yep. Um, and here um, in the United States, things have kind of gone back to normal, except for this like ever-present threat underneath everything. Like we're all wearing masks, but we're also like at a restaurant. And that's yeah. very much the world that those kids live in. Yeah, it's same over here in Puerto Rico. Like Things are slowly, slowly coming back to normal. But I say that with like air quotes around it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, <laughs> whether, whether we like it or not, there's still a global health crisis going on. Mm-hmm. But people are so gang, gang-ho on just going back to what they perceived as normal that we're just rushing through it. I feel like a lot of us haven't had any time to process what's been happening this last two years. Yeah. A lot of us who lost uh, loved ones haven't had the time to grieve either. Mm-hmm. It's just because the world keeps going, 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 and it just, it won't stop. Yeah. It just yeah. And sucks in general. Right. And it's also like, just with that, and also I think this is a theme in Evangelion, is humans' ability to adapt yeah. to any situation. But it's just both now and in Ava compounded by the 
quickness in which the world moves now in the 21st century. Like everything happens so fast now. It's in like, we expect instantaneous results. So we have to like instantaneously adapt. Yeah, and I agree completely that that's like one of the most, Google, help me find a synonym for depressing. Because <laughs> it really just heartbreaking all the time. Yeah. Uh, it just feels like we kind of get left behind. The, the other day I was going through, I, I usually keep a list of movies that I watch throughout the year. Uh, first time mm-hmm. watches for me, whether it's on on demand or going to the actual movie theater. Mm-hmm. And there was a movie, I don't remember which one it was, that I looked at the title and I kept looking at it for a while because I was like, this feels like it was like five years ago. And it was last year. <sighs> yeah. And it's because- yeah, The way that time moves now is unreal. Oh my God, it's been crazy. Yeah. And I feel like that's a little, I don't know how it is over a stateside, but here in Puerto Rico, it reflects on the climate yeah. a lot. Because even though we have a different climate than the states does, because, you know, we're a tropical island. So, you know, we don't get snow or we don't get anything like that. Our fall is just, ooh, suddenly it rains more. Mm-hmm. That's our fall, you know? Yeah. Um, but lately, days, have been stupid hot uh-huh like fr- fry an egg on the sidewalk hot in the middle of fall mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's actually been really warm uh it's been really really warm in the northeast this fall like it was almost 70 degrees today it's december anytime i ever see someone complain on like twitter or whatever about like oh, i prefer hot wa- weather to cold weather i'm like you don't know what true heat is <laughs> you don't know what it's like to be completely naked and still be hot <laughs> no not for that long not for that like long period of time anyway our summers have been getting much hotter and they have also been getting longer but obviously it's nothing like a like puerto rico <laughs> no a quick anecdote uh it does have to do with climate change i swear uh-huh. you know we ha- we get a lot of diaspora from from puerto ricans puerto ricans who have to move from the island and go to the states mm-hmm. or people who come from the states to the island to come back here and it always surprises me when i hear a lot of friends or family or loved ones say how some people especially uh people who you know were born and raised in the states can't handle when the weather gets too hot and then the Puerto Ricans are like when their weather is too hot that's just normal Puerto Rican weather (laughs) right so I have known to get into a car and look at the little thermometer thing and be at like 112 that's insane yeah (laughs) but it's true because especially like it's not the same in the north but I know that in the in the south where it does get as hot like or close to as hot as it does in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Everywhere is air conditioned. Like literally everywhere is air conditioned. It has um, to be. We'll die. Right. <laughs> um, but that's also, you know, it's, we have to use it more because of climate change. It's yeah. affecting climate change because air conditioning is terrible for the environment. Mm-hmm. But the hotter it gets, the less livable life is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not even getting into the whole politics of our public transportation system here being so goddamn shitty that mm-hmm. to get around in Puerto Rico, you need a car. It's, it's right. not it's not a question of I can take the, the, the bus. No, you're lucky if the bus gets to your station. OK, mm-hmm. I have known to wait for a bus to get me from like the college that I study to a local mall. I've known to wait like 
from two to three hours Wow, for that one bus. And I mention it because we in Puerto Rico produce a lot of toxic waste because in every single family, there is at least two cars per house. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. crazy. And it's because we needed to move because otherwise you're stuck and you can't, you can't get a job. You can't go to work. You can't, uh, you can't go to college. You can't study. Yeah. Right. We're killing the planet in order for us to survive. I hate it here. Yeah. It's bad. I'd say it's like that in, in, I'd say most parts of the U S not, not where I live, but I actually, obviously I'm from the Northeast, but then I choose to live in big cities here so that I don't have to own a car. Um, yeah. But, I envy that a lot of big cities. Because I'm from here. <laughs> yeah, I, I envy that a lot from big cities. Y'all can just be like, I want to go to the bookstore and you just walk. It's great. I actually, I just moved from New York to Philadelphia and it is extremely walkable. Like it's actually crazy. Sounds Their public nice. transportation isn't as good, but it's a lot more manageable to walk in a city that's um, smaller. <laughs> <laughs> it's just having everything close to you. That that just seems nice. It seems like it seems like such a faraway dream for me. Like oh yeah, some places here even have town squares. Ah, oh, it's so cool. Yeah. All right. So, what episodes do you think highlight? the climate crisis the best because in this in this podcast we usually try our best to stick with the the OG anime and the film and the Evangelion and I say that because I do know that the rebuilds kind of go a little bit more ham on the climate change commentary Uh, yeah I didn't I'm not going to talk about the rebuilds I honestly but we can just have to talk about them (laughs) I, I think the only interesting thing that the rebuilds do regarding the climate change specifically is the fact that the sea is red from the beginning. Yeah, I, agree. I think that that's the most interesting thing. The fact that there's a sanctuary where it stops. So the rest of the water isn't contaminated at that. I feel like is the most interesting thing that they yeah. do. And obviously the, the little, the little compound village where they all live in the last one, but. Mm-hmm. No, I agree about the red water because it, it is very much a, the, the permanence mm-hmm. of human actions on the planet exactly you know carrying over from last time so what episodes do you think highlight this the best so the ones that I took notes on were episode seven and episode 22 uh, top tier episodes so good I'm sorry not 22 20 the birth of nerve also top tier I took the most on episode seven which is like it's not I always want to say it's my favorite episode I think it's my second favorite episode I love Jet Alone <laughs> I get it I get it. Fun fun fact about this. First time I watched Jet Alone, I told my partner, this episode is good, but it feels like a filler. And then I looked up like how people felt about it on Twitter and I found a list and it is classified as filler. But now that I, yes, but now that I've watched the series various times from front to back, uh, no, it it is not filler. You should definitely watch it always. I think the reason I was like, oh, it kind of feels like filler was because it came immediately after Ray 1, I think, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like a conclusion to a mini, mini little character arc there. Mm -hmm. So it's like starting fresh again. And we're focusing on Misato, which I think this is the first time we focus on her specifically. Yeah. And that was, it it was the shift. I was like, oh, that's weird. But rewatching it- but we're watching it, I'm like, no, it's fantastic. It, this should be proper viewing. Um, I agree. I also, th- I think that it's like maybe the first episode where Shinji isn't a central focus. I agree. Yeah. Like he's, he's in it, but like 
We're not following him. It's not, it's the not about him. <laughs> it ain't about him. He doesn't go here. <laughs> so, Talk yeah. to me about Jed alone. Why is it a top tier episode and why people who do not like it should know that they are wrong? <laughs> First of all. I think it's a it's a very political episode, and I also think it it betrays Hideki Anno's politics. Um, and I also it's very much focused on climate change and the ways that we address climate change, and the ways that humans are held back from fixing their own mistakes because of like individual ego. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's obviously you know there's commentary on. The council places a premium on their own survival. The fact that they, like, civilians were taught lies about what happened in the second impact. The fact that Nervous constantly, like, strapped for cash. I think that's all very analogous to the way that the real world operates um, when it comes to climate change. We have these, like, for example, let's say the Gates Foundation, for example. It's like these, like, really super ultra-wealthy people doing quote-unquote NGO work but really what they're actually doing is presenting a public face and in the background honest like they're probably building a bunker like there are luxury bunkers that is a real industry in the United States it's luxury bunkers for millionaires and billionaires um bunkers yeah and so it, it sort of leans into like Hideki Anno has a thing about like a shadowy cabal but it is true that there are elites who have their own self-interest at heart when it comes to addressing climate change and other world problems. I think that's true of most elites. Yeah. <laughs> of most of them, if these last couple of years have proven anything. Right. No, exactly. And when I was watching this specific episode, um, when I was, I rewatched Ava in April 2020. And when I was watching this specific episode, episode seven, I was like, this is unreal. Because it's also very anti-bureaucracy, this episode, Mm -hmm. um, which was obviously the issues with slow moving bureaucracy were a huge problem in literally every aspect of the pandemic. When it comes to PPE, when it came to people trying to get on unemployment, you had to wait online for hours to get a test for COVID. People were waiting online for hours at the food bank, all because of purposefully slow bureaucracy. And again, that is a precursor to what is going to happen and I mean, I don't know, I'm not a scientist, however many decades when things get really bad <laughs> with climate change, because I think that we are going, not we, I don't want to say we, because we, the general public, don't really control what's happening. Yeah. Uh, but I think that things are going to get really, really bad before drastic measures will be taken. But I think when things get really, really bad, it's going to be a repeat of that. And that is having the hope that measures will be taken in the first place. If I'm if I were I to be completely honest, because I know I, I'm also very doom pilled. I do. Yeah. So my girlfriend is an environmental scientist. So I, I do value their opinion on on climate change a lot. And um, they do think that drastic measures will end up being taken. But I'm sure that a lot of people will die first, which is what happens in Evangelion. <laughs> that's exactly, that's exactly what happens in this episode. Yay, full circle. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to shin you pose for a moment. Give me a second. Okay. <laughs> So what do you think is the most clear scene where these types of politics and intersections between climate change and bureaucracy are present in the episode? Because I think I have an idea of what scene you're going to talk about, but I want to hear you say it. The scene where Ritz goes fighting with the JA guy? Yes, when she yeah. girl bosses close to yeah. the sun. 
because yeah, it J A. Okay, so to begin with, the jet alone is powered by nuclear power. Mm-hmm. I think that Ritzko obviously brings up salient points about the dangers of nuclear power. That is also a bias of Anos, who is obviously anti-nuclear, as many Japanese people are. And then the JA guy, he doesn't have a name, the JA guy, he brings up salient points about how it's immoral to use human pilots. He doesn't even bring up the fact that they're children, um, but it's immoral to use human pilots and it's better to have something that you can control remotely. But the thing is, is that neither of them get anywhere because they let their own egos get in the way of general good. Yeah, and not to mention that Ritsuko had like a again she was a girl bossing a little bit too close to the sun because at the <laughs> yeah. end of the of the episode we see her like burn the it wasn't a manuscript it was a an instruction manual I think it was or just like the general plans of what what were the talking points were gonna be if mm-hmm. I'm not to be mistaken and then you figure out like oh she did that on purpose dun, dun, right. Dun. right that she like sabotaged she sabotaged the demonstration yeah for so that like for political reasons but i think it's interesting that it's nuclear specifically because i think that and here in america too i think we have a very like knee-jerk reaction against nuclear power but to to bring up my environmental scientist girlfriend again uh apparently in the scientific (laughs) what a flex i know right my my stem gf um (laughs) 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 nuclear power is seen as the thing we're going to have to use to narrowly avoid climate change because we don't have time to invent a cleaner way of getting energy. And we can't keep doing what we're doing, which is, you know, burning fossil fuels. And a lot of people are understandably anti-nuclear, but I think even in this episode, they bring up that it's a good source of power, it's reliable, and it's clean. We don't necessarily know how well we can control it. I think that a lot of research has gone into it and it's become a much safer um, way to uh, power things than in the 20th century. But yeah, no, I thought it was interesting because I don't really think that Ano meant to imply that nuclear could be helpful, <laughs> but he did. Well, I think I think that type of writing choice, you have to take into consideration that this was written in the 90s. Sure. So sentiment towards nuclear was still a little bit raw from what I understand regarding, you know, the history that Japan has with mm-hmm. nuclear weapons and, you know, what happened to them specifically. Sure. It was still there, you know, and that's something you can see reflected in a lot of Japanese media, not just anime per se, just in general. Oh, uh, definitely. And then it's also, again, after what happened in Fukushima in 2011. Exactly. Yeah. Generally, they're pretty anti-nuclear, understandably. Oh, of course. And that that's why we kind of see it a little bit more surprising in 2021, because, you know, we are past that. We are we are post third impact also. So to us, it's like, have you ever seen that meme where it's like, oh, I don't know what to do because I never thought I would make it this far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's that sentiment. And I'm trying to remember if Ano makes any sort of comment regarding that in the rebuild since that is his neon genesis evangelion thesis statement redux Mm -hmm. but i don't think he does i did only watch the rebuilds once each because i i just don't have the heart to watch them again so feel free to correct me in the comments on twitter if i'm wrong (laughs) honestly he does also go into and this like just regarding nuclear from like a more anarchist point of view, that kind of ties into Anno's bureaucracy thing is that I know anarchists believe that like bureaucrats should not be in charge of something like that. 
because it's too dangerous. And we see in the episode that the bureaucrats wildly mishandle and they don't understand the power behind it mm-hmm. or they don't want to deal with it. Like, you know, they, they keep passing the buck. Yeah. And it is also interesting to note that I think nerve within itself also has competition because if I'm not to be mistaken, there's there's a couple of episodes in the future where we kind of hear that nerve in America is doing its own thing. And then nerve at at Germany is doing its own thing. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like making their own things and no one's communicating with each other, even though most angels, from what I understand, seem to exclusively attack Tokyo (laughs) three. Right. (laughs) So guys, it's time to drop the ego. Let's work together before a 14-year-old boy chooses the faith of their lives for us, okay? (laughs) Just saying. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, is there a point where, like, an entire area of Nevada is, like, wiped off the map? Yeah, I think it's Area 51, actually. (laughs) Like, the implication implication is that it's it's Area 51. Oh, I love that. Props to you, Adam. That that was funny. I don't know if you did it intentionally, but good for you. That's hilarious. (laughs) God. Was this in this episode where Gendo gets on a little ship and he's talking to some guy? Is that seven or is it 22? Oh, it Uh, is this episode. Gendo's like on an airplane with this guy. Oh, yeah. And he's talking about, he's talking about America. Yeah. And how they haven't joined, I don't know, they're, I don't know what it is they're agreeing on, but he's like, yeah, like America hasn't agreed on like so-and-so or whatever because they're really, they really don't like having high unemployment rates, (laughs) which I felt was very, it's, it was applicable in April, 2020, when the U.S. was very concerned about our plummeting employment rates and not, you know, I don't know, sending everyone a mask. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Oh, here it is. I wrote the quote down. Approving funding for AVA 6. Everyone has approved funding for AVA 6 except for the U.S. It's only a matter of time. So for the American sign on too, they have a powerful aversion to high unemployment rates. So again, with the life-saving, getting the life-saving stuff in order versus um, your own, the, the image that your country has decided they want to present to the world. Yep. Yeah. On brand. Unfortunately. <laughs> I also made some notes about individual action. And how individual action, right, we've been like in America, at least we've been pitched this idea that our individual carbon footprint matters. Even the idea of an individual carbon footprint, I believe, was pitched by Exxon. But recycling initiatives, no wasteless living, you know, people who choose not to have cars and stuff like that, like that was all told to us that those matter. But the biggest polluter, I think, in the world is the U.S. military. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, again, again, I, I must disclaim that I am saying all of this as a person who lives in a U.S. colony. <laughs> so my views on this might be not only just a little bit biased, but also bitter. Y'all just gonna have to suck that up. Okay. <laughs> this is my podcast. I think I align with you <laughs> politically. Yeah, I'm very... I just, I, I definitely don't have the, the experiences that you have. I'm a white American. Yeah, but you don't need the experience to know that, you know, shit sucks, man. No, it sucks. It's horrible. I'm very transparent about yeah. those types of things. <laughs> but I, I do like, so the U.S., I don't, I can't remember if you, I'd like, don't quote me on this. It's, if it's not the, the biggest polluter in the world, it's one of the biggest polluters in the world. And it does actually make me think of um, all the havoc that nerve wreaks on Tokyo 3. And I've, I've thought about that so much. <laughs> yeah, the, the city eventually completely empties out because they have destroyed the city. Obviously, like, nerve was doing it to 
you know, to fight the angels, but, but the damage is still done. And the damage is done like here um, in Jet Alone, where this giant monster, not monster, it's a robot, is walking towards the city center and all the bureaucrats like, whatever, they don't care. Misato goes in to deactivate the core by hand and going back to individual action, it doesn't matter what she does. What was going to happen, like what was always going to happen, happened. It didn't matter if she went in there or not. Yeah, which kind of defeats like that that successful feeling you get when she's victorious about it. But she's also the first one who notices, oh, someone tampered with this. Yeah. One of my favorite things about that episode is that that's the first like actual episode where you're like, okay, Misato kind of understands that there's something else going on. Now, how much she cares about it is another matter entirely. Right. But she understands it. She's not, you know, she's not not in the know. She's smarter than she looks. Mm -hmm. Love that girl. I I do think that that it tips her off because it was very obviously planned. Yeah. How do you think climate change affects the sets of characters? Not them individually, just as sets in different ways because I've gotten through I think we have episodes on Gendo, Yui, and Fuyutsuki mm-hmm. I, I recorded them all with Alex shout out to him once again love you boy and we also just kind, kind of come to the conclusion that they are the ones who are the most to put it in some context the most lived in characters because mm-hmm. they experience the world pre-second impact and post second impact so you know whatever decision they take matters it always it always jumps out at me when I think Yui's discussing with Fuyutsuki if I'm not mistaken about wanting children and someone asks her about oh so how do you feel bringing a child into this world Mm -hmm. knowing you know what happened and that's where that that quote about if there's always a dream there's someone out that I don't remember what the fucking quote is right now I am looking like a dummy everyone knows which dream I'm talking about though the, the one that Elon Musk used <laughs> which I don't know man that that do with that what you will but they are the characters who you know experience the world in different ways and I always find it fascinating episode 20 might be my second favorite episode in the entire show yeah because it's I, great. I, I, I love actually, getting the different perspectives I uh I took notes on that episode too with regards to climate change with that exact like moral dilemma of is it ethical to have a child in sec in post second impact world yeah and is it ethical to have a child in the real world, knowing that we are on the brink of irreversible climate catastrophe. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's always a difficult conversation to have, especially as at least I'm going to speak for myself. Uh, mm-hmm. I am a person who does not plan on having children for various different reasons, but I must assume that, you know, this varies from parent to parent because it's easy for me to sit down here and say, you know, having children in this world post xyz is unethical because blah 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 it's easy for me to do that because i don't have children mm-hmm. and i have no desire to have children ever but you know there are also circumstances where parents wanted children or where parents had to have the children's for regardless of you know the issue that happened but it is a question that is worth pondering especially right. with the big baby boom that happened during the panini Mm-hmm. because that's one of the things that surprised me the most that during the panini there was a huge baby boom every time I went into my 
Facebook or my Twitter, like someone was having a baby, someone was pregnant, someone was expecting. And I was just like, y'all don't have Netflix or like. <laughs> I did not know there was a baby boom. But yeah, no, I, there was. I think that like, like obviously like when it comes to pregnancy, like it comes down to an issue of personal autonomy. Exactly. Like it all, it all comes down to like what you personally want to do with your body and your life it's something worth pondering. But then on the other end, it's like, like, I think like what I said, is it ethical to bring a child into this world after X, like post X, Y, Z is a more negative reading, but I think a more positive reading, which I think is more present in Ava is like humanity will continue on no matter what. Yeah. And the next generation, whether they want to or not, is going to have to fight for it. But that also brings up one of the biggest ethical questions in Evangelion, which is, is it fair to saddle a younger generation with the older generation's mistake. Yeah, you could easily transplant that into our reality, unfortunately. Because right. I mean, I, I, I think that's a big issue is that like the people who are going to suffer the most under climate change are not the people who did it. Mm-hmm. They weren't even alive when, you know, let's say like we have been polluting the environment since we've been around, but obviously it was kind of expedited uh, after the industrial revolution. And I would say that who's the generation before the silent generation? Let's say like between 1900 to 1970, that's where the majority of the damage was being done. Oh, I agree. Like I'm not a STEM, I'm not a STEM uh, person because I just do not have the brain capacity for that. But I am, I am a history major. So I can definitely tell you that, yeah, this is all the industrial revolution's fault. Yeah, no, it is the Industrial Revolution. I feel pretty fucking confident saying that. Yeah, and you know, I was born in 1995. Same! So what, yeah, so it's like, what what do we have to do with all that happened in the Industrial Revolution in the 20th century, which even my parents are too young yeah. to have been involved in. Those young people are going to have to deal with it. Impoverished people who, who are not benefiting off of this whatsoever are going to suffer the most under it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's the same. It's the same in Ava. They mentioned that there are wars, there's famine, there's disease. And obviously when those things happen, they always happen to the lowest rank, the lowest rung in society. Yeah, that is like the ugliest truth about this entire thing that at the end of the day, the people that suffer from these consequences the most are not even the person, the people who made these things happen. They are simply victims of circumstance. Right. And of Um, course, a political system of oppression uh, that keeps them down there. But that's a whole other can of worms. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I honestly wish we saw like more normal people in um, Evangelion. We Same. do kind of a flash of normal life in episode 20 in 2002. Like, so Fuyutsuki kind of glances over 01, which kind of makes sense. You know, it makes sense yeah. narratively and also just like the way that human minds work. I don't think he would want to dwell on it. Um, yeah, and he even, he even states, it, a, a quote that's always stuck with me is him basically saying, I don't really remember what happened in 2001 because everything was hectic and everything was chaotic. Yeah. And, and uh, stupid me, first time I ever saw it, I was like, what does he mean? And when I posted that on Twitter, people were like, uh, yeah, it was the year after the second impact. Yeah. It was funky. And I was like, oh yeah, y'all are smarter than me. It's okay. I think it's a little confusing because second impact happens. It's like December 31st, 1999. Yeah. So it like in your mind, he does once two years later. Anyway, yeah. So we see a little bit of normal life. People are just gathering in really small places. Like he is not a doctor, but he's a man of science. And so he goes and becomes a doctor just to do something with himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but actually I, I realized I forgot to answer your question about the three generations and with Fuyutsuki like becoming a doctor it is kind of interesting that like I'm, I'm gonna assign like American generational terms to it because yeah. I actually I actually think it's applicable um like that the boomer generation is kind of just continuing to slog on mm-hmm. <laughs> Misato, Kaji, and Ritsuko are millennials you know they were born in the 80s millennial representation millennial rep and so when this happened they were 14 15 years old and it was hugely fundamental in the way in their personhood yes because they do know a world before second impact but it's their childhood Mm -hmm. and so second impact like very much informed how they kind of interact with the world and like all three of them are very they're not trusting. They like clearly like exhibit trauma. Like, I mean, Misato's is super obvious, especially in episode 20. They, and like, even like later in life, they exhibit that trauma from the, the change. Like, if you want to go into like, I know a lot of people don't really even consider this canon, but like Kaji's backstory in the manga. I consider it canon because I am I, an- That's my favorite part of the manga. I am an unapologetic Kaji lover. Yeah. As anyone can tell. <laughs> And, and I, 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 yeah, it is one of the most more interesting things that they do in the manga regarding characters, especially Kaji, because we don't really get a lot of Kaji backstory in the show that's not tied to Misato. Right. And I think it's interesting, like when you look at that, he was spoilers for the manga. He was homeless, orphaned after the second impact, and he lived on the street with like a gang of kids and how that translates into the way that he interacts with the world as an adult, mm-hmm. which is it's all very underhanded. It's like, it's all, I feel like it's almost like what, you know, when kittens get food aggression? Yes. Like, I, I almost feel like it's like that. Like, you're just constantly, like, your nerves are just frayed. Yeah. I um, mean, there's a reason all three of them smoke. Exactly. Yeah. And drink. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't see, like, no one from the, from the quote unquote boomer generation does that. And right. obviously the kids don't because they're kids. Right. But Misajo, Kari, and Ritsuko, they all smoke. They all it's drink. Fun vast amounts of alcohol but yeah and then with the kids like and the kids so they're born in what 2000 and 2000 2001 so they're gen z yeah um and they honestly like really remind me of the way that gen z kids are here now they're just very like they were born into this they don't know Mm -hmm. anything else and um i think it kind of gives them a sort of i mean they're they're nonchalant because they're teenagers yeah. Um, but I think they're also nonchalant because the, the world that they grew up in is an, an eternal summer. Exactly. The real life equivalent that I always kind of use to compare this is how to us, at least us millennials, we remember a time before the internet. Right. You know, and, and I'm not saying that like, oh, look at what we used to be. Like, I'm talking seriously about, you know, when I had to look up information for school projects, my mom had a lot of encyclopedias in the closet. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would use. Uh, I remember listening to music on CD players and carrying them around with, you know, the various different CDs that I wanted to interchange throughout the day. And Gen Z, Gen Z was born when the internet was ascending and in becoming into what the monster that it is today. So to them, this is normal. Like anecdote, the <laughs> other day, the other day, a couple of wow, like a year ago or so, I gave an exam and I used an older teacher's exam because I just didn't have the time to create my own, right? So 
in the exam, there was an exercise. I teach English, so there's a lot of grammar exercises where it was like, oh, Cynthia has to reboot her iPod. And one of, <laughs> and one of my fifth graders was like, what's it? iPod. Oh no. And I felt myself crumble into dust realizing how old I felt. I felt ancient. That's insane. And I miss my iPod. I I wish I had one. I was like, what do you mean? What's an iPod? (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. But it's also like, I, I don't remember if we recorded this or not, but we were talking about climate change obviously. Um, And you said that like only in the past couple of years have you noticed in Puerto Rico, like tangible climate change. But I grew up in New England. And I remember like the winters of my childhood are not the winters of my like, I want to say it was probably when I started college when it started being noticeably different. So that would be eight years ago. Yeah, eight years ago. New England winters were historically like very mild. We got some snow usually in January or February. And there was a cold snap maybe for a week or two in February. And then it started being, basically we got like Midwestern winters. (laughs) Like it would be really, really, really cold for a long period of time. Or like this fall has been super warm and I think it's going to be a really warm winter where there's not going to be a lot of snow. So even within my lifetime, and I'm only 26, there is a marked difference in winters in the Northeast. And I think that like Misato, Kaji, and Ritsuko, obviously it's a much more dramatic because uh, it literally obviously. happened overnight in Evangelion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like this, like, it's a very nostalgic feeling of having like normal weather <laughs> versus what it is now where it's, it's, beca- it's becoming more and more extreme. Yeah, no, I definitely know what you mean. Uh, to, to go back on the comment that Sophie said, uh, the thing is that here in Puerto Rico, we don't get seasons the way people do in the States. Like, you know, our winter is just, oh, it's not as hot anymore. You know, <laughs> I actually have to put on a very light jacket to go outside. <laughs> But, we, you know, I've never seen snow in the 26 years that I've been alive on this godforsaken planet. <laughs> I have never seen snow in my life. And it's because we don't get that type of climate here in Puerto Rico. So I was saying to Sophie that it's not up until recently that I've thought about climate change, because to me, it's just, it's always hot here. It's always hot. It, it's always so hot, you guys, you guys don't know. But recently, we've had a couple of uh, different climate related events that have really transpired and changed the way we see things here because we're getting a lot more rainy days we're, we get hit with a lot of more hurricanes now a lot of more a lot more storms uh you know we were hit with maria back in 2016 which definitely impacted the island in a lot of different ways so it's not up until the, these last i would say seven to eight years that we have really taken notice of the climate change here because to us it's just it's always been hot and sometimes it rains <laughs> yeah the rain is also it's very present in Ava too but I actually was reading today that um the increased rainfall is bad like really bad oh, no. <laughs> yeah um I don't well you guys have had more tropical storms but like mm-hmm. we've had a lot more rainfall in the last couple of years Uh, this past summer was the rainiest summer ever on record in the Northeast. Um, it was, don't go so far off. It was ruining crops. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, shit. And it was also, I don't know if you saw these videos, but it rained so much that the New York City subways were getting 
flooded. I saw like, those videos. Just, yeah. yeah, and you were pouring down the stairs. Yeah, I saw those. Again, just comes back to climate change is affecting people on the lower ends of society. Mm-hmm. Um, people who don't own cars, people who rely on public transportation to get to work. And these people were walking through the water, which is super dangerous. Yeah. Really sick. But they had to get to work. You know, what were they supposed to do? You can't call an Uber. There's a surcharge. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> Jesus, I didn't know about the, the search thing. Search pricing, yeah. When they're in higher demand, they raise the prices. So if it's raining really hard, it's more expensive. Oh, that fucking sucks. I know. <laughs> God, I hate capitalism. It's horrible. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> but yeah, no, rain is present in Ava. Although it's not, I wouldn't say that rain is destructive in Ava. It's, it's more of a mood. <laughs> it's soothing. Yeah, it sets a mood. It makes it's, the cicadas stop screaming. Yeah, it really does. That's, a, that's actually another thing that's very present throughout the show that is an effect of climate change is the cicadas. Explain to me what the cicadas are, because I don't think I've heard of those before, Ava. A cicada? Yes. They're like these big beetles, and they come out in the summer, and they just like scream all summer. Um, but they only come out in the summer. Um, so if you watch- Ava's eternally summer, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is that like, if you watch other anime that's set in the summer, you will very often hear, the, very much often hear the cicadas. I also one time was in South Carolina. We have cicadas in the Northeast, but like in the South, I was down there and I stepped outside mm-hmm. and it was like piercing. Like you had to talk pretty loud to get a, go over the cicadas. And then also it's like every 17 years, they have the brood. So there's like 17 times more of them. Really? Yeah. And they come out of the ground. That's so <laughs> um, odd. Yeah. They're very weird. And they're really, really big and gross looking. Um, but yeah, the cicadas are like very much ever present in Evangelion. And that's another reason why you never notice that time is moving and that end of Evangelion takes place on New Year's Eve. I didn't but, know that until yeah. I started doing this podcast. Yeah, it's yeah. So it's on New Year's Eve, but the cicadas are still screaming. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you bring up the points with the cicadas because, again, to me, the cicadas were never that much of a big deal, but it has to do a lot where, where I live. So in Puerto Rico, especially more in the country parts of the island, we get a lot of noise like that. Yeah, uh, We have a lot of like cricket sounds and a lot of different types of insects. We even have the national cookie. I don't know if uh, people out there know, but for those of you who don't, uh, the National Cookie is like a small little frog that's native to here. Uh, There was a recent skyrocket in population of them in Hawaii, but basically it's like a really cute little frog with big eyes, uh, but they are really loud. (laughs) They are really loud and you can usually like hear them midnight just going cookie, 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 (laughs) like that. To the point where I've heard I've heard a lot of Puerto Ricans from the diaspora say that sometimes they put on white noise of the cookies to fall asleep. Aww. Yeah. So to okay. me, the cicadas were like, oh, I wonder if that's normal. <laughs> like to them, the same way the cookie is to us. Yeah. It's just like, it's a summer sound. Because Japan has, it has four seasons. Most of the country anyway. Yeah, that, that was also, that, that was something I didn't know because I wasn't aware of that. So... <laughs> When I did do the research eventually and I watched Ava, I never had a sense of what time this was taking place in. I remember the first time that I ever realized that 
it was happening during December, like the last right. couple of episodes was when I think it was Q Masato wrote an entire blog post about how people usually say that Asuka is 14 when in actuality for most of the show, she is probably 13 because- uh, it, it was something along those lines don't direct me don't directly quote me on this but, okay. basically, <laughs> but basically it was something along the lines of for most of the show there's a big possibility that Asuka is either 13 or 14 going on 15 because the events of the last couple of episodes happened in December right you know before the tumbling down tumbling down the whole show takes place over the course of like nine months I think that makes sense yeah it's just that yeah they don't have like there's no seasonal changes even though yeah japan does have four seasons Mm -hmm. Uh, and we they don't they also don't have any real um like markers like they they never have like a summer break in school or anything yeah school is also like not really that important in ava like it kind of fades to the background regardless Mm -hmm. um and it's not i mean they they didn't throw a christmas party so (laughs) <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't get their bucket of kfc fried chicken yeah they, they they didn't have any sort of marker nobody had a birthday nobody celebrated it the the closest marker we ever get to something is the anniversary of yui's death mm, yeah and even with that we don't fully understand it because we are not giving a context as to you know when she died how long ago was it it's not until way later later in episode 20 that we see oh shinji was a baby when Mm. she died (laughs) great so that's i think that's the closest thing we get because other things that we celebrate throughout the show are somewhat superficial things like misato's promotion right and stuff like that oh and a wedding i i really like wedding yeah like it's it's very much even in the worst of times people are still gonna get married (laughs) shout out to the queen who invited those three to her wedding like (laughs) (laughs) wow talk about a party (laughs) yeah i remember there's two weirdos from college i guess i'll invite them it's that it's like yeah people will continue to get married and also like Ritsuko and Misato are talking about oh like we're gonna be like I don't want to be the last one in you know in our peer group to not be married or before 30 yeah um, that these like just arbitrary expectations still exist for them even though they're living in like a post-apocalyptic world yeah damn I gotta get married before before I'm 30 (laughs) everyone's just hitching to get married before like you guys are 29 you better get on it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Time's running out, okay? We all know that after 30, you become a carcass. <laughs> right. <laughs> I am four years away. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> Sweet release. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, again, like, the fact that there's no type of marker to signify when shit happens it was an incredible revelation to me when it was like, oh yeah, the, the third impact happens on New Year's. Like, can you imagine the party? <laughs> that was the party. That was the party. <laughs> you got gooped. Everyone got gooped. Everyone That's in Times Square just fucking goops it. <laughs> it made it even stickier than it usually is. <laughs> Um, but I also like the way time moves in Evangelion and having lived through, you know, the hell that was 2020, oh, time God. moved in very strange ways yes. during crisis. Ah, I hate it here. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. 
I remember nights during the panini where I would just lie on bed. I was talking to my friends through like Zoom or Zoom calls. And we were just like, how many months haven't we seen each other? And we would start counting. Mm -hmm. And it's just this bizarre moment where you realize that a lot of time has passed and yet you haven't done a single thing. Yeah. If you feel like the same person you were five to 10 months ago. Mm -hmm. And that's wild because we're in a crisis, because people are not moving the same way they usually do, because the world in its quickness and its need to return back to normal just kind of forgets about the people around them. Yeah. It moves on without you. It is, it's like pretty crazy how like, I feel we've like brought up the pandemic a number of times, but it really is a microcosm of climate change. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, pretty wild. (laughs) (laughs) What a world we live in. We... I also had written down uh, angels as a metaphor for climate change. Ooh, tell me more about that. So they're faced with immediate problems that need to be solved, which is in Ava defeating the angels and in real life, climate catastrophes and the cleanups that you have to do after a climate catastrophe, mm-hmm. but the inability to address core issues that started the problem in the first place, which in both cases Ava and real world is greed and personal goals. Also, I think that the angels are, you know, just part of the overarching theme of burdening children with the mistakes of their parents' generation. Yeah. Uh, which would also be, you know, analogous. So it's more in the in the metaphor sense. It, it also does deal with the implications that we're fighting with forces that are bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because we're we, bigger than ourselves, but they're also like us. Yeah. I like that we never know where the fuck the angels come from. Me too. I, like, I don't need to know. I don't need to know that lore. The, it's here. We, we have to deal with it. Well, but I also, it's like, we don't know where they came from, but at the same time, it's still a man-made catastrophe. Oh, of, of course. The impacts, great. the impacts, if I'm not to be mistaken, are all man-made catastrophes. Right. Maybe not the first one. I don't remember. I, I don't think we know anything about the first one. Yeah. The first one is was so long ago that people just kind of chopped it up to uh, nature. Moving on. Yeah. Because um, the first one is what created the chasm that nerve is built in, right? Exactly. But, yeah. And then, yeah, the second one was done on purpose. The public was fed misinformation mm-hmm. with real real world catastrophes, like, for instance, like oil spills. Yeah. Uh, we are constantly lied to about how the oil spills happened, how they're going to clean up the oil spill, how they're going to resolve the issues that the oil spill created for the community. I was actually like, while I was um, watching uh, episode seven, I was thinking about the Exxon Valdez oil spill of 1989. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah. So basically, so in 1989, there was a a big oil tanker that was leaving a bay in Alaska and it, uh, I might, it went adrift. It grounded whatever. The ship struck a reef. It it was a very hard bay to navigate out of, and it struck a reef, and it dumped, I have it written down somewhere. It was like 11 tons of oil into the bay or something like that. What? Yeah. That's Um, insane. Exxon blamed the captain because he had um, alcohol abuse issues, and he may or may not have been drunk, But in reality, the Exxon shipping company failed to properly maintain their 
collision avoidance system radar. <laughs> and the other thing is that that captain who they blamed had a recorded history of being drunk on the job, but they still let him navigate out of the bay. Wow. They also like completely destroyed the, obviously they, com they completely destroyed the ecosystem in the bay, um, which was a fishing area. Um, destroyed all these people's livelihoods. A lot of those people were indigenous Alaskans, destroyed their livelihoods. Um, Exxon did have to pay um, for compensatory and punitive damages, but it's Exxon. Like when, when you levy these financial strikes against oil companies, it doesn't mean anything. Like they basically got away without any real ramifications. Meanwhile, this community in Alaska was destroyed like they you still can't fish in that bay obviously but just like i don't know like that kind of thing and of course like they tried to lie about it and the government kind of just gave them a little slap on the wrist for destroying the environment so jesus christ so yeah was thinking about that just in terms of kind of politics and and science when they go hand in hand you know just girly things yeah, just girly things. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about that. Holy hell. I, I'm like stuck now. I'm like, wow. It's insane. Like the amount of oil spills that we've had where the companies like, I mean, the Gulf of Mexico is going to be biologically sterile at some point because mm. they've spilled so much oil into it. Jesus. The only exposure I've ever had to like big oil spills are those stupid Dawn commercials <laughs> where, where they where, where they like bathe ducks in dishwasher and <laughs> in, in like dish, dish soap. We'll get at anything out. Yeah. Pro Dawn got toned to hair. But that's all I know about like big oil spills. Uh, yeah. No, there's a really interesting, there's a podcast called You're Wrong About and they have a great- Oh, I know them. I know them. I love that podcast so they have an amazing episode on the exxon valdez oil spill Ooh, might listen yeah. to that tonight yeah <laughs> they're great they're great i've listened to a couple of them well if you want a little bit of uh a little bit of contest climate environment wise here in puerto rico our one of our biggest climate issues man-made climate issues is actually on one of the little islands on the side called vieques Mm -hmm. where we have a massive population of people with cancer problems specifically mm -hmm. because the U.S. militia just dumped a bunch of shit in there and just refused to clean it up for years. Yep. So the native people of Vieques, a lot of them had very severe health problems, including but not limited to cancer of yep. various kinds throughout the entire uh, little small island uh, to the point where people protest up until this day still for the u.s to come and pick up the shit that they left because they they placed a u.s military base in that small island mm -hmm. left it with whatever toxic waste they had there and just never really bothered to come clean it back up yeah it's the u.s i watched a video recently about the island of bikini which you may know because it was a major american nuclear testing site in the 50s mm -hmm. the u.s army basically showed up i don't believe that bikini was under u.s control at the time i'm not actually i'm not sure don't quote me on that but they showed up to the island and they convinced the people living there the indigenous people living there to leave for a while and then they'll, they'll be allowed to come back wow. which we obviously know didn't happen because when you 
test nuclear weapons <laughs> on mm -hmm. a small island, uh, it becomes unlivable to the point where actually Japan ended up getting involved because uh, the radiation went so far that it actually covered uh, Japanese fishing territory. And there, these Japanese fishermen were coming back from their fishing trips, fishing trips, coming back from work with radiation poisoning. And they didn't know why. Oh, God. Like they go and radiation poisoning is horrible. It like it like unspools your DNA. So mm -hmm. these people were coming back with radiation poisoning, and they didn't know why because America didn't tell Japan that they were testing nuclear weapons on the island of Bikini. Yeah, the callousness of empirical world powers when it comes to both the people and the environment. Mm -hmm. It's bad. It's monstrous, honestly. I feel like there's no yeah. no other there's word no, for it. There's no words, yeah. And it's yeah, just, now these people are displaced permanently. <laughs> to be driven from your home like that. Well, yeah, not, I, I genuinely don't know what else to add to this conversation because a lot of these points hit a little bit too close to home. <laughs> because, no, it's true. Like, yeah, Puerto Rico, we didn't get a lot of nuclear testing per se, but we did get a lot of medical intervention, I guess. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of medical intervention here in Puerto Rico from part of the U.S., uh, especially during the 1950s. The biggest scandal was one of them where the U.S. just straight up started testing out birth control methods on Puerto Rican women without their consent. Wow. Yeah, it's like a whole thing. You can read about it easily. About a big chunk of the population, uh, especially regarding women who went towards their gynecologist for xyz uh, just could not have children wow and you know there's theories up until this day that this was a way to control the population as well that's insane it's crazy yeah no when it comes to like the medical industry that's a whole other can of worms mm -hmm. yeah but it's but it's just again it's it comes back to this theme of whatever these rich elites want they right. will do because the people who suffer the consequences the most are the rest of us Basically. Right, they're irrelevant to, to them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like there are powers that exist above us that operate on their own will and will continue to operate on their own will until the very last second. Exactly. How do you feel that Sele's whole thing fits into the climate change aspect of the show? Hmm, that's a good question. Got you there, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Because, like, obviously, Sele's involved in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're the ones running the show. And they, like, like to go back to Jet Alone, like, Sele's scenario is the reason that they wanted to sabotage Jet Alone. Because they needed the Avas to do it because they needed the human heart. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. I think it's just... Yeah, I mean, uh, they're also involved in, like, the cover-up of um, yeah. Second Impact. I really think they just represent, like, the global elite. Yeah. Um, you the know, globally, the, the bureaucracy itself. Yeah, the Harvey Weinstein's, you know. It's ghastly. <laughs> ghastly, yeah. Yeah. And they, they get what they want in the end. Goop. We have all been gooped. Goop you for us goop. all. And also, I mean, there is, what's what's that guy's name? Keel? That's the leader? Yeah. That he has, I actually asked this on Twitter and someone told me because I didn't get it. But like when he gets gooped, um, he has like all this like robot shit in his body. <laughs> oh yeah, like those weird sunglasses thing he always wears. The sunglasses, but also when he like melts, 
his spine is like metal and like he has all these like metal kind of like inserts in his body i um, did not know that holy shit yeah if you go back and watch eoe it's a really quick like flash on the screen yeah yeah but like and you'll miss it yeah um and so like obviously and so as it was explained to me he did everything in his power to stay alive until like to an unnatural end so that he could see human instrumentality happen. And that just goes back to, you know, just uh, the elite have access to things that normal people don't have access to, to elongate their lives. Wow. <laughs> that that really threw me off right now because I had never noticed that. But now that you say it. Yeah. The lengths to which people will go through, honestly. Yeah. Ugh. And it uh, actually, I, uh, <laughs> I did a play recently. I work in theater. I did a play that was about a strike. It was a railroad worker strike in Philadelphia in I think 1913. And they were talking about one of the railroad tycoons. And basically the premise of the play was that, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was a big, a real life railroad tycoon on, on the East Coast in the 19th and 20th centuries. He was basically a vampire, but he didn't suck blood. He sucked the like life force energy that had been taken from the workers out of the tracks. So like back in the day, like like around the industrial revolution, that kind of work was extremely dangerous. Like it was very common to die, lose limbs, brain damage. And so all of those horrible things that happened to his workers, that's what kept him alive. Like, you know, as a metaphor for capitalism. So I don't know, just made me think of that. I think, I think we call those HF Bezos now. Yeah, literally. Like I say, I'm, I'm almost positive. That's the correct yeah. term for that type of. <laughs> yeah, I think I heard that. Vampire. <laughs> vampire. <laughs> or in the Bo Burnham's Jeffrey Bezos. <laughs> oh my God. No, but yeah, that that that's usually a common theme that we usually see repeated in art, and the fact that we can see it repeated so continuously should probably point out that you guys, this is a problem that keeps happening. And we should do something about it because it always comes back to what the ego wants over the necessary means of the rest of us. It doesn't matter whether if it's uh, climate change or economic or, you know, just basic needs and livelihood. It always does come down to is the ego bigger than the needs of the others. And unfortunately, up until now, the case has always been yes. Right. Yeah, and that's actually why I think that, like, there's almost an anti-capitalist slant to Evangelion. I have no idea what Anno's political opinions on that are. I don't think that, as far as I know, I don't think that anti-capitalism is very mainstream in Japan. It's a very, very capitalist country. Mm -hmm. But, like, capitalism as a system rewards ego and greed. And so it's kind of become this manifestation of something of a of a human nature that has been heavily criticized basically since the beginning of human history exactly i've always wanted to do and i'm pretty sure i'm gonna do this as a project later in life not right now but later in life i've always wanted to do the auteur theory through anno's eyes Mm -hmm. uh, or using anno as a main test subject Mm. because i find it interesting that he came back to the same work twice in his life yeah, definitely. And I feel like he I feel like some messages evolve, some messages change, and some messages stay the same. When you look at the 95 anime and the rebuilds back to back, they read, seem, look like entirely different franchises, even though they are inherently by the 
basic bone structure the same, but different. It's true. I also always, I mean, I don't know how strongly I think this anymore, but I think to some respect, the reboots are somewhat of a cash grab, which is after that there's like an anti-capitalist land to Ava, but that man is so rich now. Like, and he has the opportunity to become richer. And if you like, I'm not going to like, if he was offered a project, like if you want, do you want to remake Evangelion, but we'll give you a bajillion dollars, like don't blame him for saying yes. But at the same time, it was a money-making opportunity. Of course. And no. he's much older now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got his retirement to think of. Yeah. And priorities change as well. Like, right. again, both, uh, let, let's call them franchises for now. Both mm-hmm. franchises feel different. The endings yeah, are definitely. different. The... <laughs> whoa are the endings different uh (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say speaking of endings just with regards to climate change the manga ends in winter which i love i actually love the end of the manga but that's why it's so jarring when it's been a very long time since i've read the manga but i remember being very like jarred that it cuts to the end to shinji wearing like a winter coat which you've never ever seen him wearing a coat yeah because it's not winter I haven't read the manga yet, which is why I'm not commenting as much. But I do know that it ends in winter. Yes, it ends in winter. I kind of want to reread the manga. It's been, it's been a really long time. I should read it just to have the full context. Yeah. So I can pick and choose also what I want canon and what I don't want canon. Exactly. <laughs> I think the manga's fun. I know a lot of people on Twitter who seem to really dislike it, but I think it's fun in a... It's like Ava if it actually was a shonen. Yep. Uh, from what I've heard uh, throughout all the co-hosts that have come on the podcast, most of them have read the manga. A lot of them just kind of pick and choose what they like about it yeah. and incorporate <laughs> it into the canon. Like, for example, most people accept uh, Kaji's backstory as canon for the show. Yeah, Kaji's backstory, I want to say, is maybe the best aspect of the manga. I agree. From what I can tell from the very few plot elements that, I, that I've seen around, I can... I agree with that because mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of what they did to Asuka's backstory in the manga that well she's a special it's something about her being a special genetic science baby oh yeah she's I, a true baby <laughs> I just I, I don't like that I feel like it's yeah. weird I feel like it defeats the entire purpose yeah doesn't that kind of yeah remove the context of like the gigantic theme of parental, like the trauma that parents inflict on their children. Yeah. So, so you know, that that aspect of the manga mostly gets ignored by people, which is fine. Yeah. I like Manga Kaoru. I actually love Manga Kaoru. He's my favorite Kaoru. I, I don't know anything about Manga Kaoru. I guess he has a little bit more of like, he, he's, he's funnier. Time. Yeah, he's, he's funny. He's like that archetype. Like he's like a, an alien who doesn't really understand human culture. It's funny. Oh, okay. Okay. That, that does and sound funny. And Shinji have a more of a relationship just because he exists in the narrative for much longer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The rebuilds end in what looks like spring, like that last scene. Oh yeah. I think you're right. I think it is spring. Yeah. Cause everything's really green. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Shinji's wearing like a light jacket. Yeah. He's wearing like a, like a, like a work blazer blazer and eoe ends in whatever the hell that is <laughs> in hell, in hell. <laughs> i guess it's january 1st so it's winter. <laughs> little did we know it was actually january 1st 2020 <laughs> giant ray head season you know where this where this where the ocean just turns red just, just normal just normal 2020 things you know oh shinji he really he really bunked that one <laughs> Um, 
All right. Do you have any more notes that you think we have not talked about or we should go more into depth? Or do you think that puts a nice little bow on everything? I think it puts a nice little bow on everything. I actually hit on everything I wrote down. That's perfect. So <laughs> moral of the story, kids, try to change seasons. Don't fuck up the environment. Demand more <laughs> Demand more of the corporations surrounding us. Get mad and <laughs> uh, be gay, do crimes. Be gay, do crimes. I like that. I like that. Let's end on that. (laughs) So, Sophie, this is the spot where I give you where you can plug whatever your little heart desires, whatever you want. This is your time. This is your time to shine. Go ahead. Yeah. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Misato Smokes. I also, like I mentioned earlier, if you have any interest in Fruits Basket and taking a very deep dive into the Fruits Basket 2019 reboot, all of the episodes are up wherever you can find podcasts. Uh, It's called Soma So Good. We will be doing an episode when the OVA comes out in February and it will be a shit show. (laughs) I remember vaguely watching the first couple of episodes of Fruits Basket when I was was a teenager. Mm Mm-hmm. And the only thing I could remember it was, wow, these anime designs had bigger eyes than usual. Yeah. (laughs) That first anime, their eyes were real big. Like humongous. Yeah. And kind of scary. I I don't remember anything. I I don't even really understand what it is about. But I've always wanted to go back and see like if I missed anything by not being an active part of that anime viewing experience. Mm-hmm. so who knows maybe i might give 2019 a go i've heard i've heard nothing but good things that at yeah. least it's fun you know it, it is it is accurate to the manga i'll give it that all right <laughs> first one's not how good of a statement is that from one to ten uh ugh, i don't know because the, the manga is pretty flawed but okay. you know what it's very accurate to the manga so I'll, I'll give it a 10 on accuracy all right all right how about enjoyment hmm mm, you paused yeah, it's it's like it's one of those adaptations where it is a good adaptation of the story, but like it's not a good adaptation of manga to anime, like from medium to medium. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I don't know it a lot through context of anime to manga, but I do see that a lot when, you know. Well, even when it comes to like when you adapt like a book to a movie. Yeah, exactly. That That's, that's more of my wheelhouse. Yeah. But yeah. All right, Sophie, this was a blast. Thank you so much for being on this episode with me. Thanks so much for having me. I had so much fun. For educating me in situations and things that I did not know about before. (laughs) Uh, You're welcome to come back whenever you want. Thank you. I usually love to have returning co-hosts. So if there's ever a topic that sticks out to you, just reach out and let me know. Will do. And as always, if you've listened so far, thank you so much for staying with us, talking through us with us uh special shout out to my editor who makes these podcast episodes listenable and nice and crisp and speaking of my editor if you want to help me support her please check out the patreon at patreon.com slash ava x lilith every single dollar donated on that patreon goes directly to my editor who makes this sound good make brain go brr <laughs> So thank you so much for listening, sitting down with us. I hope you have a great night. I hope you have a wonderful day. And hopefully I will be around soon with another quote-unquote December episode celebrating the holidays. So thank you very much. Have a great life.